Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about why do people with dementia say no and how to turn a no into a yes is Vivian Green Corner. Vivian is a certified dementia care practitioner with extensive clinical experience, including hospital, residential, and community-based setting. She held the position of Director of Kaplan Adult Reach Center at the Tenafly JCC for 17 years including an affiliation with the Alzheimer's Association for more than 15 years as a facilitator of caregiver support groups. As an advocate for the dementia community, she creates and coordinates town-based Alzheimer's awareness symposiums to raise awareness and offer caregivers needed information, guidance, and community resources, along with offering dementia educational presentations. <clears throat> Excuse me. The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice, the content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary client, or attorney-client relationship. For those that are joining us for the live webinar today, if you have any questions, type your questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get your questions answered. Good afternoon, Vivian, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. It's snowing in New Jersey right now. But I walked out. Yeah, it's good. We all walked out this morning in D.C. and had some snow on the ground. The dog was happy. I wasn't so much, but uh, that's for another day. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Vivian, to get started. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Jason, and thanks for that introduction. And I am thrilled to be able to give you information in an area that I think is uh, is challenging for caregivers. Um, I'm gonna start off with my own personal experience, my own vignette, um, to underline what I learned um, and what started my curiosity about what is going on with an individual with a form of Alzheimer's dementia that is saying no. Many years ago, I was in a program, I uh, headed a, a daycare program, and I was interviewing a uh, participant with her son who was her caregiver. And uh, he pulled me aside and said, I just wanna let you know that whatever you um, ask my mom or suggest to my mom or offer my mom, she's going to say no, but it doesn't mean no. Um, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I'd never come across that. And, and sure enough, um, when we would offer her a dessert and uh, coffee, um, here's your dessert and coffee, she'd say no. Uh, we knew she liked milk in her coffee. We would say, here's some milk. We're going to pour it in for you. Um, you ready? No. Um, her friend Joan, um, you know, who loved to sit next to her, she'd say, um, you know, Joan is keeping a chair for you next to her. Um, let's go and, and, and sit at the table. No. I mean, all this was kind of curious on the light side until one day um, she just didn't seem well to us. So we brought in the nurse and uh, the nurse evaluated and said she's running a fever. I think she needs to be seen by her doctor. Called the son up, son came in, had a great approach with his mom and you know, upbeat, hi mom, sorry to hear you're not feeling well. Um, but the good news is I got an appointment with the doctor and he can see you right now. 
And she said, no, no, I'm not going to the doctor. And I then became more, more than challenged, I became curious as to why individuals who are approached um, in a seemingly appropriate way say no. Um, so I have come to learn and want to share this information with you that when offering care for an individual with Alzheimer's or related form of dementia, um, are you finding they refuse your care when your intentions is to do the best for them? Are they refusing to change their clothes, take a shower, have food, or even taking medication? Is that something that you're experiencing? So Vivian, why do people instinctually say no? To, to understand why you're getting a negative response and turn it into a positive first requires understanding how the disease has affected their executive functioning. So what is executive functioning then? Executive functioning skills allows us to plan, remember instructions, do multiple tasks, and helps us prepare for the future. You know, I'll give you an example for, for uh, the audience whose executive functioning is robust. Suppose um, you were having to change, you're preparing for your day. You got out of bed, you take your, your, uh, your clothes off that you slept in, you, you go into the shower, um, you do all of your personal hygiene, you get dressed knowing what the day is going to be like, weather-wise, what your schedule is. When somebody has impaired executive functioning, that sense of planning for the day or doing the multiple tasks, even for instance, uh, going into the shower, you know, we, we do this rope, but you know, that requires turning the shower on, getting the right temperature, having the soap available. If you're gonna put shampoo in your hair, putting it in, rinsing it off, those are all multiple tasks. And if your executive functioning is impaired, it's not available to you. Um, you. You don't understand it. And if somebody is approaching you to help do those tasks, because you don't have that capacity, you don't understand what it is that they want and why they're doing it at this point in time. You know what your agenda is, but even when you communicate it verbally, it really isn't something that they understand or can interpret. So when an individual has dementia, the frontal lobe, which is literally located into the front of their brain, mediates their executive functioning and that's impaired. So when a person's executive functioning fails, the individual has trouble analyzing what it is that you want for them. They have 
difficulty sharing in the planning of what is going on and organizing it. And as I said, even completing the tasks. So as a result, they might come across like that example that I mentioned early on, my own, as being unwilling, but it might be that they just don't understand that request. Um, you know, it's like, imagine that if you were waking up or somebody who is waking you up, they might be familiar, but they're instructing you to get out of bed and, and, and take your clothes off. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, when you have no sense why, I mean, I'd say like, no, uh, because it, it just doesn't make any sense. So when things don't make sense to anybody, especially if you don't have the availability of your executive functioning, you're going to respond in two ways, either non-verbally, which is no, or maybe even pushing that person away because it's kind of a fight or flight response or verbally you're going to say something like no or stop it, it is in a healthy way a way that individual is protecting themselves against what they seem to be possibly harm or something unsafe Vivian, do we know why resistance differs from person to person? That's a good question. Um, uh, to understand that, it, it, it really is very specific as to what's causing their refusal. So to the audience, there isn't a one-size-fits-all, but certainly things to be considered. For instance, um, the person might not understand what they're being asked to do. Uh, for instance, uh, if they're being asked um, to take their medication, if they're being shown a pill, they see it, but they don't understand what that means. Um, what, what needs to be done, and we'll talk about tips, is it's not just about verbalizing. You might want to do a nonverbal instruction to them. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, the other thing to consider is that that request that's being made might not fit into their, their schedule or their preference. For instance, if they've always gone to bed at 11 o'clock at night, and they appear sleepy to you and you say, you know, it's time to uh, move from the couch and we'll go to your bedroom, time to go to sleep. Now, if they don't feel sleepy or the traditional 11 o'clock isn't really their preference to them, chances are, how you see it and how they experience it might be different and they're just going to say to you, no. 
the person also might be feeling like they are being talked down to or being bossed. Uh, and granted, this is frustrating, you know, um, when you know it is that your intention is to take care of them and they're refusing it. But, you know, it might impact on your approach and it might impact on your tone of voice, which then they might interpret as you're being bossy and you're wanting to control them. And, you know, who are you? They're, they're a grown adult to, to, to be controlled. They've always known what they needed to do for themselves. Um, another consideration, um, and this has to do with the impact, not as much on the executive functioning, but other areas of the brain, is that they might misinterpret the situation or the environment. Um, for example, the person might perceive a shiny floor as being wet and refuse to walk on it. We see it shiny, but they might pull back, not want to walk. And the response we need to is not come with me, but take a pause and pay attention to their body language, which might be communicating non-verbally some sense of fear or trepidation, and that's what you want to respond to. They might not be verbalizing that they're not gonna walk on the floor because it's wet, but pay attention to their body language. And the last consideration, um, even if you've been caretaking this person as their care partner, um, they still, given a particular situation, they just might not trust you. Um, they might sense, again, uh, your urgency. Um, they might not understand why you are approaching them and what it is from, uh, what it is they, they want from you. And your agenda, again, which might be totally on target, might not be their agenda at that point in time. So Vivian, can you offer some tips on how to turn a no into a yes? I, I think that, yeah, um, I, this is the most important um, because this is, I think we, we, we try our hardest um, and I, I'm hoping now with the information that these are not just um, cranky old adults, but it is because of the uh, impairment in their executive functioning. We need to keep that front and center um, when we are um, wanting to engage somebody with a form of dementia um, to be the recipient of your care. The first is we don't want, and this isn't easy, but we want to move away from asking questions. Um, would you like? Um, can you? Um, because that requires that they're going to have to consider 
um, analyze. You're, you're asking a lot. Rather than ask a question, better to give a declarative statement. For instance, um, if you want um, to have them uh, eat the meal that you prepared, um, rather than saying, are you hungry? Um, or uh, I made your uh, favorite uh, vegetable peas, uh, you know, you want to have it, better to kind of add the verbal and the nonverbal. So, so you have the plate of food in front of you, take a nice sniff of it and comment, this is so delicious. Um, I'm, I'm so excited that we're going to be able to have this, our favorite. Um, you, you want to make it very positive. Rather than changing your clothes, talk first about that beautiful sweater. Um, love the color red. Always looks good on you. Have them feel the sweater. Don't go towards um, immediately doing it. You want to make those statements which will be engaging for them. If you're doing something that in the past hasn't worked well, uh, for instance, um, undressing them or dressing them or showering, um, you want to see if you can accompany that with something that they like. Uh, what I've told my caregivers, for instance, if showering um, is a challenge, maybe you want to bring in music that they like um, playing in the bathroom. You know, if it's from the 40s, the 50s, the Frank Sinatra, so that when you're entering in the bathroom, you're accompanying that shower experience with something they like. And you're going to kind of join with the music as you are gradually preparing them for the shower, always talking about the music, maybe even singing with the music. Um, it is a form of distraction and something we always speak about, about redirecting. If things are not working well, you want to redirect it to something which will reduce their anxiety and help to develop their engagement with you and trust. Um, you know, unless there is urgency, um, another tip is to keep in mind, drop it and go back to it later. Um, later can be 10 minutes. Um, later can be an hour. I mean, is it an issue if they are refusing medication um, to do something else and come back 10 minutes later? Um, you don't want to get into a controlling match uh, because when we overreact to their defiance, we're just going to escalate that battle. And it is a battle you will never win. It's like going, you know, uh, 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. You're not going to win that battle. Um, so we don't 
want to get that into a, a, a control match. Um, it's really a great way to try to turn the no into a yes is by letting that person help you. Um, let them feel involved. Let them feel valuable. Let them feel engaged rather than somebody doing for you because they've always been independent. So let them join with you. Um, ask them to help you with the undressing. Um, lift your arms. Oh, that's great. Lift your arms up. That You're helping. That's wonderful. Don't ask them again to lift. Just lift your arms up. Put your arm through the sleeve. Praise, praise, praise. But every step of the way, there's always an opportunity. Um, using medication as an example, um, can you put your hand out? Would you hold the glass while we pour water? You know, ease the steps into it because you're also helping the brain of that individual to prepare for the next step rather than here's your pill, here's the water, put your pill in the mouth. You know, every step that they're involved is sending a message to the brain. And of course you want to eliminate those negative words or no, stop, you know, I, I know this is hard because when you're frustrated, we go to that place, but we have to try to, again, disengage in the battle, take a break, take a pause, especially if you're finding and pay attention to yourself if those negative words are, are, are coming out because you're just going to hear the words and they're going to hear um, the tone in your voice and they're going to assume there's a problem there. Um, and then that spiral of, of overreacting will go on. You don't want to come down with a sledgehammer. Um, you really want to approach this with grace. Um, you know, when I say grace, I, I mean that, you know, pills, I call them vitamins. I don't call them pills. I call them vitamins because, you know, we've got things to do in life. You know, we've got dancing to do, always with the positive. Um, and, and, you know, we've got to stay healthy. Um, that's the message that you want to give. Um, showerings, because you smell good, and your daughter's coming later, and she always loves that. And you know what? Remind me, you know, this is a strategy. Remind me to put that perfume on. Okay, they might not remember it, but you're engaging them. Um, in 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 that process rather than, as I say, that sledgehammer. And um, you want to put those pants on because they look so great and they're warm and they're cozy. Um, could you hold them up? Um, and I like also to give people a choice or what I say is the illusion of choice. You know, you have two pairs of pants there, um, both are options. Do you want the black ones today or the red ones? 
that's engaging them in the process where they can kind of take ownership of what's going on rather than feeling like somebody's coming in and like, why am I being undressed or dressed? Or why are you in the shower with me? Um, all of this doesn't make sense to them. Um, I mentioned before about the nonverbal, and this is really important as a tip. It's harder for individuals with dementia to understand the verbal. It's easier for them to understand the nonverbal. So whenever you can, give the nonverbal first. You can talk, but for instance, again, let's do the undressing, because I know that's so challenging. Do it to yourself first. You know, show them like lifting the shirt up on your end. You know, lift it up, they can see it. You're giving them a message about what's gonna happen. And then point to them and help them unlift theirs. They've gotten the nonverbal cue first. Um, if you want them again to take that pill, pretend like a pantomime, put it in your mouth and the glass of water. It's a pantomime, but then when you want them to do it, they've already seen the nonverbal cue that they get more than they get the verbal cue. It's harder for them to translate it and then take action on it. Uh, uh, this is challenging. Turning a no to a yes, I'm not gonna say it's not a challenge. It mm -hmm. is, but I'm hoping with the understanding about the executive functioning and the tips you will have a better outcome for yourself. I, I know you're dedicated uh, and you're working hard as a caregiver, but you will have a better outcome and those who need your assistance also will also have more of a likelihood to comply. When does someone with dementia display impairment in executive functioning? Uh, it depends person to person. Um, some of my caregivers say they noticed that their husband, who always did the checkbook, was not able to really calculate anymore. Um, somebody who was really neat and tidy, they're not organizing as well. So it depends, uh, and those are all executive functioning skills. Um, it depends person to person, but you know what they were like before. And so it depends on how they're changing. Um, it, it's person to person on this. Um, some um, diseases, um, it escalates faster and it's more apparent. Yeah. So sticking with executive functions, how do you measure or assess executive functions? Um, th that measurement or assessment, Jason, would be done by the neurologist or a, a neuropsychologist would really take a deeper dive into that. Okay. 
Another question has come in. Um, how do you help somebody who forgets days of the week? My, uh, when I tell caregivers about that, I suggest that they use a whiteboard. Um, and on the whiteboard, just put the day of the week um, up there. Um, and not too much information. The day of the week, uh, maybe uh, something that's happening that day. Um, if you are with them, uh, that you can put that information up on a whiteboard. Some people have uh, clocks. I think the Alzheimer's store offers them. Big clock says the day of the week on the clock. And the other is, um, depending upon what stage they're in, if they can use an Alexa, um, they can ask Alexa, Alexa, what day is it? And you know, you can put that on a piece of paper, ask Alexa, what day is it? And Alexa will tell you the day. Yeah. Another question has come in, Vivian. When looking to find an aide, sometimes my mother-in-law says, okay, and other times she says no. Once we hire someone, how do we handle her changing her mind? Trust me, my mom has dementia, great question. I'm one of six kids. She said yes to no, one, and the next day she said, no, I'm not bringing an aid. Um, I understand this. Um, it's not a lot of conversation. Um, you can raise your concerns. I just had this uh, two days ago. Don't have a lot of uh, discussion ahead of time. Bring the aide in. An aide who has training and experience in dementia care. That's essential. That will make life easier for you and certainly for your mom. Um, if somebody has experience and training, they will know how to develop, even from the first hello, an engaging conversation to develop a sense of trust. Okay. Got another question that's come in. Uh, Vivian says, do you know of anyone who has documented movements in lieu of speech? I don't know of anything in particular, but it happens to be a great question for me personally, because my master's is in dance therapy, and that's what I was trained in um, uh, first, is the nonverbal. But I don't have an answer for you. I think it's a Google question or a question for your doctor. Very good. Well, Vivian, excellent stuff. How can people find you? Um, they can reach out to me. I have a uh, website, which is viviangreencorner.com, um, or they can email me um, to my email address, um, which is uh, up on the screen. But for those that are doing this with an auditory, it's v-i-v-i-a-n dot k-o-r-n-e-r at gmail.com. Uh, corner is spelled with a K. Very good. Uh, as far as knowledgeable aging, 
You can find our archived webinars on our uh, website, also on our YouTube page. I encourage you to go there. We update the YouTube page uh, five to six times a week. Um, please subscribe to that. Also, if podcasts are your thing, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.